you've been with us, we've been making our way through the book of Mark, and we're into chapter 7. Martin Luther was amazed and moved by this chapter because in the stories of Jesus, Luther saw the gospel in a new and a fresh way. And so it's my hope that this morning, as we read and talk about these stories in Mark 7, that we too will be moved and amazed that we will clearly see the gospel or this good news and we'll know if we've accepted that good news or not. Mark chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So really, you see two stories here. Let's start with the story of the woman, which begins with a mysterious statement here in verse 24 that Jesus went to this vicinity of Tyre into a house, and he didn't want anyone to know it. So what is going on here? Uh, why, Why doesn't he want anyone to know it? Well, if we dig into the context, we see that Jesus had been spending all of his time uh, ministering in Jewish provinces, and he was drawing some overwhelming crowds, and he was exhausted. And so Jesus left the Jewish provinces, and he went into a Gentile territory, Tyre, in order to get some rest. But it didn't work. Uh, A woman hears about his arrival, and even though she is a Syro-Phoenician, she lives close enough to Judea to know the Jewish customs, to know that she has none of the religious or the cultural credentials necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi of that day, and yet she still makes her way boldly to Jesus. This is remarkable. Uh, If you think about it and you examine her, she's a Phoenician, a Gentile, a non-believer, a woman in that day, uh, and her daughter has an unclean spirit. And so she has to know that in every way, according to the standards of that day, 
she's unclean and therefore disqualified to approach any devout Jew, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She comes anyway. And so we see in this story a picture of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that everyone here this morning has heard that good news and you've accepted that. But from this story, let's look at this good news just in case you haven't accepted it or maybe you haven't accepted it fully. Or perhaps, like me, your heart needs to be encouraged or reminded of what it means to accept the gospel. So the question this morning is, have you accepted the gospel? Jesus does all the work for the woman in the story and for you and I, but you must accept his gospel. And the first way that we see to accept the gospel is by accepting that you're unworthy to be saved. By accepting that you're unworthy to be saved. This woman knows that she's unworthy in every way to even talk to Jesus, to even approach him. But she enters this house anyway without invitation, falls down, and begins begging Jesus to cast out the demon from her daughter. Uh, The word for begged here is a present progressive word, which means she keeps on begging. Nothing and no one can stop her. And in Matthew 15, we get a longer account of this same story. And in it, the disciples urge Jesus, send her away. But she's pleading with Jesus, and she won't take no for an answer. And so, as I'm reading the text, I'm thinking, why does she have this kind of boldness? Why why this kind of boldness? And as I think about it, I think some of you understand why. Because as I think about people... There are cowards, and there are regular people, and there are heroes, and then there are parents. Okay? There are parents, because parents probably shouldn't be compared with anyone else, because if your child is in jeopardy or in danger, you just simply do whatever it takes to save them. It doesn't matter if you're normally shy or reserved or normally outgoing. Your personality type doesn't matter at that point. You do what it takes, and you don't think twice about it. So, as we think about her as a parent, I don't think it's surprising that this mother is willing to push through against all the barriers. So, what's Jesus' response to this woman as she's down on the floor begging? Verse 26 and 27. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Is Jesus really referring to this lady as a dog? That that sounds like an insult to me. It really does. But But if you dig into the context, you see that Jesus is using a parable. And a parable means a metaphor or a likeness. That's what this is. And so one key to understanding this unusual word that Jesus uses for dogs here is he uses a word that really means puppies, a young dog. Remember that the woman is a mother. So Jesus is saying to her, you know how families eat at the table and afterward their pets eat too. Well, it's not right to violate that order. The puppies must not eat food from the table before the children do. Still kind of sounds like an insult, doesn't it? 
Uh, If we look at Matthew's account of the story, Jesus' answer is a bit longer, and he explains his meaning by saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And as we read about Jesus, he concentrated his ministry on Israel for all sorts of reasons. He was sent to Israel to be the fulfillment of the Scripture's promises and the fulfillment of all the prophets and priests and, and kings and the fulfillment of the temple. But after he was resurrected, he immediately said to his disciples, what? Go into all nations, right? So his words to this woman are not the insult that they appear to be. What he's saying to this Syrophoenician woman is, please understand, there's an order here. There's an order here. And I'm going to Israel first, and then I'm going to the Gentiles and the other nations later. But this mother gives an amazing reply. Listen to verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, she says, Yes, Lord, but the puppies eat from the table too, and I'm here for mine. This woman gets it. She she understands Jesus' parable. Jesus' disciples often don't even understand his parables, but she gets it. She she responds to the challenge and says, Okay, I understand. I'm I'm not from Israel. I don't worship the God that the Israelites worship. Therefore, I don't have a place at the table. I accept that. Isn't that remarkable? She doesn't take offense. She doesn't say something like, I can't believe you just compared me to a puppy. She doesn't say that. And she doesn't try to stand on her rights. She says, all right, I may not have a place at the table, but you know what? There's more enough on that table for everyone in the world, and I just happen to need mine right now. She's wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way, and she won't take no for an answer. I I love what she is doing here. And, And I think in our culture, we don't have anything like this type of assertiveness. We only have the assertion of our rights. You know, we, we, we don't know how to be assertive unless we're standing on our rights, you know, standing on our dignity or our goodness and saying, no, this is what you owe me. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is an assertiveness without rights. It's something I don't think we really understand in our culture. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. Let me say that again. Give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. I think you and I can see from this woman that We accept the gospel, not only by accepting that we're unworthy to be saved, but by accepting that we cannot save ourselves in any way. So that's the second point. Accepting that you cannot save yourself in any way. This woman gets Jesus' parable. She understands his mission. She accepts his challenge. And she finds the hidden gift in the parable. And Jesus responds, wonderful answer. And he grants her request. This woman saw the gospel. 
that you're more wicked than you ever believed, and at the same time, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. On the one hand, she's not too proud to accept what the gospel says about her unworthiness. She accepts Jesus' challenge. She doesn't get all proud and say, how dare you put a demeaning label on me? I don't have to stand for this, feeling insulted, as I think you and I might respond. But on the other hand, she doesn't insult God either by being too discouraged to accept his offer. What I'm trying to say is that there are two ways that you could fail to accept Jesus as your Savior. One is by being too proud, feeling too superior to accept his assessment of you, and so you don't accept his offer. But the other way is to feel too inferior, that you're so self-absorbed that you say, you know what, I'm so awful that God couldn't love me, and so you don't accept his offer in that way either. John Newton uh, once wrote a letter to a man who was very depressed, and I want you to listen to his writing. He said, You say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness? Well, indeed, you cannot be too aware of the evils inside of yourself, but you may be, indeed you are, improperly controlled and affected by them. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer, which is wrong. You complain about sin, he said, but when I look at your complaints, they are so full of self-righteousness, unbelief, pride, and impatience that they are little better than the worst evils that you complain of. Again, It's just as much a rejection of the love of God to refuse to seek Him, to refuse to come after His mercy, to refuse to accept it, to refuse to be content with it, as to say, I'm too good for it. Now, last Sunday we read uh, the preparatory reading, which we often do as we try to prepare our hearts for communion so that this morning we could approach the table with confidence and not pride. And perhaps one of the greatest prayers ever written is a prayer of approach to the Lord's Supper. And it's written by Thomas Cranmer in the first book of Common Prayer. And I mention it because it's based on the story that we're looking at in Mark. And and so over the centuries, millions of people have prayed it. The prayer says, We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. And so every time anyone has ever prayed this prayer, Cranmer has been inviting them to step into this woman's shoes and to approach Jesus boldly with an assertiveness that has no rights. To accept the reality of how God sees us and the offer of God's infinite mercy. And Jesus continues to show mercy in our text. We'll keep moving here. As soon as Jesus leaves Tyre, Mark records a different scene in verses 31 and 37. And this is with the deaf and the mute man. 
But I want, I want us to look at the things that Jesus does with this man. It's a very different approach than, than with the woman. It's a different situation, but verse 33. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. Why is Jesus doing all of these things? certainly has the power to just say, done, right? You might think he's doing the rituals of a miracle healer, but if you think back to some of his other miracles that uh, that Jesus has done anyway, there aren't any rituals or magic tricks. Jesus just says it, and it happens. So why here does Jesus need to do all of these things with the man? Well, the answer is that Jesus doesn't need to do all these things. The man needs it. Jesus knows what each one of us needs, and He treats us accordingly. That's why I believe the healing with the woman is different than the healing of the man. But Jesus deeply identifies with this man. Um, The touching of His ears, the touching of His mouth, it's sign language for those who can't hear. And he enters into this man's world with nonverbal speech so that he can understand. First we see he takes him away from the crowd. He doesn't want others to make fun of him, which I would guess has happened a lot in the past. He's identifying with him emotionally. But there's a deeper identification yet because at one point, Jesus utters a deep sigh. If you could imagine Jesus sighing. A better translation might be, he moaned. A moan is an expression of pain. Why why would Jesus be in pain and moan? Because he has emotionally connected with the man in his isolation and pain. It's true. He's about to heal him. So, why isn't Jesus grinning and saying to the man, Wait till you see what I'm going to do for you. He doesn't do that because there's something deeper going on here in this story. There's a cost for Jesus healing this man. And if you dig into it, Mark signals this with the word that he uses for deaf and could hardly speak. And it's a, it's a rare word. It's a Greek word that's not used in any other place in the Bible except for Isaiah 35.5. And so I believe that Mark would have no other reason to use it unless he wanted us to cross-reference what's happening in Isaiah 35. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 35 says this about the Messiah. Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come with divine retribution to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So, first of all, Mark is saying these things prophesied are now happening. God has come, just as Isaiah 35 promised. God has come to save you. And that Jesus is God, come to save us. He's the King. That's the first thing. But I think there's one more thing that Mark wants his readers to think about. Notice that Isaiah says the Messiah will come to save us with divine retribution. But Jesus isn't striking people. 
He's not taking out his sword. He's not taking power. He's giving it away. He's not taking over the world. He's serving it. Where is this divine retribution? Where is it? And the answer is, he didn't come to bring divine retribution. He came to bear it. That on the cross, Jesus would identify with us totally. That on the cross, the child of God was thrown away, cast away from the table without a crumb, so that those of us who were not children of God could be adopted and brought in. Put another way, the child has become a dog so that we would become sons and daughters at the table. Wow. So have you accepted the good news of the gospel? Do you see it clearly? You accept it first by accepting that you're unworthy of it. You're unworthy to be saved. By accepting that you cannot save yourself in any way. You have no rights, no merit, no goodness. And finally, you accept the gospel by accepting the love and the healing of Jesus. For the woman and for you, Jesus became a dog. He became like us, so to speak, so that we could be brought to the table. For the man and for you, Jesus became mute so that our tongues could be loosed to call him king. And so this morning, church family, my encouragement is don't think that you are beyond healing. That you are beyond Jesus' forgiveness and what he wants to do in your life. Jesus can do it. He can do it. Don't be too proud to accept what the gospel says about your unworthiness. And don't think that you are beyond this amazing love of Jesus. Accept what the Gospel says about how loved you are. Accept that good news. Accept that gift of love and healing. And then give it away to others.